Amen, amen. That's my king. I think maybe when, uh, when we first meet him, God's going to use that preacher to introduce him to us in, uh, in that way. It's going to be incredible. Uh, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. That's who it is all about right there. It's about, it's about Jesus. I hope everybody had a nice Thanksgiving day. First service uh, seemed to be still experiencing a little bit of tryptophan. Uh, I, I hope you're not. Uh, so if you are, feel free to stand up and, and raise your hands. Uh, I've never seen anybody fall asleep with their standing up raising their hands, but you could. And I appreciate so much Taylor and Karen outdoing Zach Williams and Dolly Parton. Uh, didn't they do a great job? Love that. Just love that. Did an incredible job, and I, I just love that song, and uh, love Taylor and Karen, and they did a great job. This morning, we come to the last message in our series called The Chosen. If you're a guest today, thank you for being here. We've been in a series called The Chosen, which of course is based on the life of Jesus from the Gospels. Also, uh, we took advantage of the opportunity to show the movie series, the TV series, The Chosen. We've been showing these at each campus, and this is the last week for season, uh, uh, season one. Now, some people this Wednesday are going to see the movie. The Chosen has come out with a nativity uh, movie. So uh, some groups I know from the church are going to see that. My wife and I are going to join one and, and go see the nativity chosen the chosen nativity movie that's coming out on wednesday but these have been incredible haven't they this is a crowd funded that means normal people fund the making of this series and it is probably the best rendition of the life of jesus from the gospels that i've ever seen i've heard others say that as well who are older than i am and uh, who, who may know the Bible better than I do, and this is so good. There have been a lot of faith-based movies, a lot of movies based on the biblical characters and biblical stories, but none of them have delved into the, uh, the world of the Bible, the first century socioeconomic and uh, political world of the Romans and uh, the, Gre the Greco-Romans, the Greeks, the Romans, the Jews, and all the people of that time period, and actually done some research and done the backstory on some of these people. And a little bit of that is speculation on their part, because we don't have it in the Bible. They're filling in the gaps. But this is absolutely so good. If Christians don't support things like this, then nobody else will. We owe it to our culture to give them, we owe it to our world, our society, to give them the clearest, most legit, genuine picture of Jesus that we can. And there have been some that didn't do it justice, that kind of misused scripture, that took things out of context, that really twisted things, but this series has done a good job. They have theologians that they converse with in order to get the text and the, uh, the story as right as they can, as, as they understand it. So support this, thechosen.com on your website, or you can download the app, the Chosen app, and you can watch, or it's all free to watch, and you can also donate if you'd like to. And of course, the 
the story that it tells is the story of a lifetime. The story of Jesus is the story of a lifetime. It's the story we need to hear. The story of Jesus is a story we need to tell. It is the story that makes a difference in your life. It's the only story that can make a difference in your life, especially at that ending point of your life. When you and I are getting ready to breathe our last, when we know the end is near, the only question that will matter is what did you do with Jesus? What did you do with the, the chosen one? What did you do about him? What did you do with him? You understand me? I'm, tryptophan is working, I'm afraid, or maybe it's my uh, hypnotic way of talking or something, but just give me a thumbs up or a head knob or a, hey, yeah, I'm here. Yeah. It's the story of Jesus, right? It's the story of Jesus that matters. It's the story of a lifetime. That's what we've been talking about. And you can know a whole lot of things in this world. You can go after a lot of things in this world. But if you, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't go after Jesus, you will be disappointed at the end of your life. Now, we've said some things about him. I've uh, tried to sum up some things uh, in the Gospels that I thought were the most important things about Jesus. And we've said, first of all, that he knows me. He knows us better than anybody else in our life. The woman at the well found this out when Jesus told her everything about herself. And she had to tell other people, come meet a man who told me everything about me. And he, secondly, we said that he invites us. This is the incredible thing is that he doesn't need you. He doesn't need us. He created the universe. He created the, the earth and everything on it. He sustains it. He holds it up. He makes it work. He doesn't need anything for us, but he desires to have a relationship with us, his creation. He invites us to follow him, to be changed by him. Last week, we talked about his miracles. We said he amazes us. It's just amazing what Jesus did in the first century without the aid of medicine, without the aid of medical technology or computer-generated graphics or Hollywood or anything like that. The miracles that he performed cannot be duplicated. Medicine can heal people. It can make us better. It can help us. Vaccinations can help. All that stuff you know, is good today, but nobody can duplicate what Jesus did in the way he did it in the first century. With just a word or just a touch, he healed people completely from top to bottom. His teaching was amazing, but the most amazing thing I think about Jesus was before he did anything, his persona said something. It said, I'm not here to beat you up. I'm not here to beat you down. I'm not here to take from you. I'm here to give you something. I have something to offer you. And I want to offer you grace. I'm going to give you grace. And if you scour the pages of the Gospels, you'll see that every interaction he had with people, sinful people, rich people, poor people, everybody in between, he, he offered them grace and love. Jesus came to love if you grew up in the church, you probably, that's our title today, by the way, is He Loves Me. If you grew up in the church, I'm sure you sang the little song that we sang as children and still sing today. And even as an adult, I'm sure you've sung this song. And if you've never sung this song, you can't go out of here today 
saying you didn't have the chance to sing this song with other adults. You remember this song. It's the most popular American-written Christian children's song ever. Will you sing it with me? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Everybody singing? Yes. Loves me. Yes. Ed, are you singing? Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. What if we could take that song? What if we could take the, yeah, give yourself a hand there. You did great. Hey, if you keep that up, they'll have you on stage here before long. What if we could take that song and plant it deep into the hearts and minds of every child? Instead of planting hate and division and teaching kids to judge other people by the way they look or where they're from or how much money their parents have or what kind of car they're dropped off in, what if we could plant that song deep into the hearts and minds of children? It would change our world, wouldn't it? I don't know if Anna Bartlett Warner, way back in 1860, understood the power of that song or the popularity of it. Anna Bartlett Warner and her sister Susan were born to uh, wealthy parents. Her dad was a, a lawyer. Her mother was from a wealthy family from New York's Hudson Square. But when they were young, their mother died, and their father lost everything in what was called the Panic of 1837. Now, I didn't say the panic of 2020 or the panic of 2021. There's no panic here, right? Omicron, Epsilon, uh, Delta, don't panic, all right? That's the important thing. But her family needed some help at the time. They had to move to a place called West Point where there was a little military school. They lived in an old farmhouse there, and to help the family, Anna and her sister Susan, the only thing they could contribute was they could write They were a devout Christian family, so they began to write poems and stories and selling them, and uh, that was helping their dad, you know, fund the the family. Now, the tune was added to this song in 1862, two years later by a man named William Batchelder Bradbury, and it became a song. It was a poem, now it's a song, and this, this, this poem was written inside the context of a story that Anna wrote about a little boy named Johnny who was dying. I know, kind of sad, but it was, she wrote this story about a little boy named Johnny. Johnny was dying, and Johnny's teacher, Mr. Linden, sang him this song in the story. Now, Johnny wasn't an actual boy. He was a boy in her story. And uh, and in the story, Mr. Linden sang this song, and she wrote this as part of that story. And there are three more verses. Did you know? Jesus loves me, he who died, heaven's gate to open wide. He will wash away my sin, let his little child come in. Jesus loves me, loves me still, though I'm very weak and ill. From his shiny throne on high comes to watch me where I lie. In the last verse, Jesus loves me. He will stay close beside me all the way. Then his little child will take, he'll take 
up to heaven for his dear sake. And I just think if we could uh, get that song and the meaning of that song and the words of that song deep into the heart of every child, into the psyche of a culture, it could change our culture, couldn't it? It could change lives. It could give incredible hope to so many hurting people. It could dispel despair. It could alleviate heartache. It could uh, change marriages and relationships. Jesus loves me. If Jesus loves me, I can love you. And I just think it's the most powerful thing we could say about Jesus is that he loves us. He loves us even when we are unlovable. He is the one who reaches into our world, into the mess and the muck and the mud of our sin, and he picks us up and he cleans us off and he stands us up and he says, I love you. I, I love you. That's why God sent his son. You know, he is the embodiment of the kindness and the love of God. What God is, and that's what we read in our focus verse, God is love. Jesus embodied that. That's what Titus says, uh, uh, Paul says in Titus 3, at one time we too who were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Does this verse resonate with anybody's past? Yeah, it does. It resonates with us. We were foolish. Has anybody ever been foolish? Anybody ever lied, not raised their hand, and said they were foolish? Ever, anybody ever been disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures? We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. This pretty much sums up our world, doesn't it? It sums up our world. But listen to what happened. There was Jesus. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. You see how everything revolves around and moves and depends on the kindness and love of God appearing, Jesus. Depends on that. I want to show you real quickly three times in our lives when we are unlovable, yet Jesus loves us. And these are times in the Bible, in the Gospels, where we don't see this very often. We know that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And we know that Jesus had compassion on the, the, the multitudes of people. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. But there are some places in the gospels where the gospel writer actually says Jesus loved him. He loved them. And I want to look at those real quickly and tell you that you're, that's you and that's me, that he loves me even when I won't let go of what I have to have him. This story is in Mark chapter 10, and this is the story of the rich young ruler. You remember this story? It's a great story of someone who said no to Jesus. You know, Jesus had a magnetic, charismatic personality, but there were people who said no to him. 
Some said no out of hatred. Some said no because they had too much in their hands. A rich young ruler had everything going for him, and he was everything you want to be and I want to be. Really, I mean, he's the epitome of the American dream. He was He was rich. He was rich, and I don't know many people who would turn down more money in your bank account. Uh, 500 bucks would be good, 1,000, 10,000, how about a million? Nobody would turn that down. You could do a lot of good things with that. He was young. I mean, who of us wouldn't like to be younger again? Anybody? Anybody like to go back and relive a moment or just wind the clock backwards? You know, the clock doesn't wind backwards. It winds forward. A week or two ago, Philip was doing the announcement or the communion time, and he was talking about, you know, he broke his little pinky finger. Bless his heart. He broke his little finger, and he was talking about some other pains that he was having and he's only in his 30s, and he was talking about joy, and he wasn't being, having very much joy that day, all the pains he was having. But I want to tell you, when he said that, I got a lot of joy out of that, <laughs> that this 30-something-year-old had pains that he was dealing with. How many of you can get joy out of seeing a 30-something have a little bit of pain? I'm not talking about big pain. Yeah, because when you hit... 40 or 50 or beyond, you're going to have some pain, right? So this, this guy had it all. He was rich, he was young, and he had some influence. He was everything that a lot of us want to be in our weak moments before we really realize what that can do to us. But he had this big obstacle that prevented him from coming to Jesus. And you know what that was? It was a big pile of possessions. It was everything I just talked about. It was everything he was holding on to. The Bible says Jesus looked at him, listen to this, and loved him. Now, the gospel writer points this out for some reason. What did, what did Mark see? Really, this was Peter's account of what did Peter see, who later told a story to Mark. And can you see Peter saying, Mark, you know, when, when th- that man came up to Jesus and uh, and, and we knew who he was. We knew who, what he was worth. And, and when he came to Jesus, Jesus knew everything about him. And I want to tell you, Mark, Jesus had this look in his eyes on his face, and he loved him. It's not very often you see this in Scripture. Jesus, I, I think he loved him in a way that says, you're so close. You're so close to the kingdom. You've done everything your parents raised you to do. You've kept all the commandments. You've done everything that you could possibly do. Now I want to tell you to let go of all of that. Just let it go. Let go of what you have in order to have me. And the Bible says that this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. I don't know if it's ever occurred to you that what you have already is keeping you from a better relationship with Jesus. Sometimes we have to let go of what we have to have him. There's a second place in the Bible that's very significant when it comes to a personal relationship. And that's what I want to get across to you today. It's not that just God so loved the world, but that God loves you. And there's places in the Bible like the rich young ruler. And now in John chapter 11, 
There's a place that we can learn that he loves me even when pain in my life creates doubt in my faith. You know, if anything could bring doubt into your life and into your faith, we just did a series on this, it's pain. It's the kind of pain that says, God, why would you allow this to happen to me? Why would you, why would you allow, I, I believe that you exist, but why would you, why would you do this? What kind of a God are you that would allow children to suffer and people to, uh, to go through what they go through? And you know, some of the most painful pain is the loss of loved ones. That's why we're doing our memorial service there, here in a few weeks. It's when somebody is not in the chair that used to be sitting in the chair and somebody uh, who used to be stringing the lights is not here anymore and somebody that used to be at the table is not here anymore. And It's, a, it's the kind of pain that is deep and never ends. I don't think people ever get over the loss of a loved one. Whether it's a grandparent, a parent, a spouse... And most painful of all, I think, a child. What would that feel like at Christmas time to be gathering and one of your children is gone? And so Jesus experienced this kind of pain, the pain of the, of the loss, and the, this human pain. It was John chapter 11. It's, it's when Jesus heard from some of his best friends in Bethany. They were there. Maybe you remember the story in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus was passing through. You know, Jesus didn't have a home. He didn't have a pillow upon which to lay his head. He didn't own any earthly possessions other than what he was wearing, yet he owned everything, the cattle on a thousand hills and everything. But he passed through and he stopped at this house, the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And you remember the story in Luke 10 where Martha's working and Mary's sitting and Martha said, Lord, why, why aren't you telling her to get up and help me? And Jesus said, hey, uh, Martha, it's okay. Chill out. That's my paraphrase. If I were writing the Bible, I'd have chill out in there somewhere. I understand your frustration with your sister, but Mary's chosen the good thing here. I'm here. And she, she knows that. But in John chapter 11, we see this personal relationship on a different level. The Bible says in verse 3, the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Jesus had a special bond with Lazarus. He was, they were tight. The one you love is sick. And I'm sure they expected him to rush right over. He was a day's journey away I'm sure they thought he'd be there by nightfall, but he didn't go. You remember what he did? Remember what the gospel says? He waited two more days because he loved them. Now, Jesus knew what was going to happen. He understood everything. He told his disciples, he said, Lazarus is asleep. And they said, oh, okay, well, if he's just asleep, we're okay. And he said, come on, dummies. He said, he's dead. He had to explain to them, your senses are dulled. He's dead. And so when Jesus finally gets there, four days later, Martha runs out. You know, Martha's the type A. She's the one that wants answers. She's the one that gets it done. She's the one that's going to take care of things. She meets him on the roadway, and she said, well, verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. And then in verse 21, she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The doubt in that is like, I, you know, I don't really think you can do anything now. But maybe if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, don't worry about it, Martha. Your brother will rise again. I'm not sure she understood everything there. But when 
Mary, who stayed in the house, heard the commotion and the people who were there in her home grieving with her. She ran out and she went to Jesus. And she said this, Lord, this is in verse 35. Lord, if you had been here, or verse 32, my brother would not have died. That's the same thing Martha said. You think they had been stewing over this for the last four days? Think they've been talking about this and gotten bitter? I think so. But she was crying, and when Jesus felt the weight of her tears and the question, the expectation in her, the Bible says, shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. 35. You remember it? Jesus wept. But then notice the next verse, verse 36. Then the Jews said, look how he loved him. Again, we don't see this anywhere else in the Gospels. We don't see it very many places where there was a personal relationship, an individual thing, where the Gospel writer brings this out and says there was love there. Jesus loved them. Even when they were slamming him or the, you know, uh, saying, hey, if you'd have been here, why did you delay? What happened there? I picture them in heaven talking and, and, and saying, Jesus, why did you wait? I waited because I love you. What do you mean? What does that mean? You know, the problem of pain in our world is a big problem. And, and uh, people have a problem with this problem. Evil, pain, and suffering. Why do we have that in our world today? I'll tell you why we have it. Because God loves you. And God wants you to love him. You see, a relationship doesn't work if you have to love me. A love relationship doesn't work if you're made to love me. If it's some kind of scheme or some kind of plan that says, you know, God has already picked you out to make you to love him. That's not a love relationship. That's a robotic kind of relationship. Evil pain and suffering happens because God says, I want you to be able to do like the rich young ruler. I want you to be able to walk away. I'm giving you, I'm a God of free will, and I'm giving you free will, and I offer you something. Who could say no to this man? And sometimes people say no, and sometimes people do worse things, and they create pain in their life, and sometimes the dumb things that I do create pain in the people around me. And sometimes if your influence is big enough, the dumb things you do will create pain in a people pain in a nation, pain in the world. And so this problem of pain is actually evidence of the love of God. Do you understand? C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, I suggest to you that it is because God loves us that he gives us the gift of suffering. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. What happens when pain comes to your life? If the pain is so great, I'll tell you what happens. Nothing else happens. If the loss is so great, the world stops. Everything is put aside. Nothing else matters because this hurts so much. And you know what you should say? God, what are you telling me? What are you trying to teach me? And you know what God's going to say to you? He said, I'm, I'm telling you what I've always told you, but now I've got your attention. I love you. 
And you will not go through this pain alone. You will not go through it alone. So God loved, Jesus loved these people even when they doubted him. And there was a little bit of doubt there. If you had been here, now it's all finished. You can't do anything. The last place I want to take in, I've only got a few minutes, is John chapter 13. And I want, to, I want you to see that he loves me even when I betray him. I mean, this, is, this must be when I'm the most unlovable, is that when I, when, it's not just a walking away, it is a fist in the face. It is a thrown under the bus. It is, I don't need you anymore. That's what betrayal is. It was John 13, verse 1. Listen to this. Just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Now listen to this next statement that John wrote years after the event, knowing what Jesus had done at Calvary on the cross. It says, having loved his own who were in the world. What's that next part? He loved them to the end. You see, in John 13, things are coming to a climax in the life and the ministry of Jesus. It was getting close to the end. It was getting, it was, things were ramping up, starting to happen fast. And the disciples, it was happening so fast, they weren't sure. And Jesus said, let's just take some time here and let's spend some time together. And so he took them to the upper room. He took them to the upper room and there around the table, he sat with them and he ate with them. And, and you've seen the uh, Leonardo da Vinci pictures of those in the upper room. They were all there. Judas was there. Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon Iscariot. Judas, the son of perdition, he would be called later. Judas, the treasurer of the group. He was the one, John said he kept the money bag and he used to pull a little bit off the bottom and stick in his pocket. That Judas who complained about the alabaster jar of perfume poured on Jesus' feet. He said, why wasn't this sold and the money given to the poor? John said he didn't care about the poor. All he cared about was the money. That Judas was there. He was, in the, he was at the table there that night. The Judas that would later betray Jesus with a kiss, sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. On the opposite end of the spectrum was Peter. Peter was there, bold, impetuous, water-walking Peter. Peter was there. Peter was, he was ready to die for the Lord. He was ready to pull a sword and cut the ear off of uh, the servant Malchus, and he was ready to do anything for Jesus. But sometimes Peter misunderstood the the method of the mission. Sometimes he, he missed the purpose of the mission. Sometimes Peter didn't quite understand what Jesus was doing and how he was doing it. He's the only disciple Jesus had to say to, get behind me, Satan. You don't know what you're saying. He had to say that to Peter, but Peter was there. So you got Judas on one side, Peter on the other side, everybody in between. And I want to tell you something else. We were there. We were there. Have you heard the old song, When He Was on the Cross? I was on his mind. We were all there. But you know what Jesus did that night for Judas, for Peter? And one of the saddest verses in the Bible, I think, is the verse, and I don't have this in my notes or on the screen, it just came to me, the, the verse that said, all the disciples deserted him and fled. I mean, you would think when the chips were down and, and, the, and the, uh, Jesus was being drugged to Calvary, that he, he was being made to walk down the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering, as the Spanish say, that the disciples would have said, now's the time to 
to pony up. Now's the time to fight. Now's the time. If we're going to die for anything, now's the time because they're going to kill him if we don't. The Bible doesn't say they did that. The Bible says they all deserted him and fled. What cowards. Cowards. He spent all this time with them, nurturing them and laughing with them and eating with them and crying with them. And in his deepest, darkest hour, they all deserted him and fled. But you know what Jesus did, even though he knew that was coming? He washed their feet that night. He washed their feet. John says he loved them to the very end. You know what else he did? He went to the cross. He went to the cross. That night, early the next morning, in the wee purple hours of Friday morning, he was taken before Pilate and Herod and taken to the cross. And you and I were there. We were on his mind. We, the foolish ones, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. But then there was Jesus. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still, what? Sinners. Christ died for us. You ever doubt God's love for you? You ever doubt that Jesus loves you when you're the most unlovable? When you're clinging to all your possessions? When there's pain in your life that's driving a wedge between you and him? When you just downright walk away and betray him, Jesus is still there. He's like a father who says, you know, you've gone astray. You've disobeyed me. You've done everything I didn't want you to do, but... I'm here to meet you because I love you. He loves us. Jesus loves me. He who died, heaven's gate to open wide. He will wash away my sin. Let his little child come in. Even when we're the most unlovable. Would you stand with me? I want you to close out this series with me by reading this passage from Ephesians as a blessing blessing one another, blessing yourself. I want this to be your blessing, this benediction, this blessing from Ephesians chapter three. Let's read it out loud together. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen. Lord, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you, God, that he was the embodiment of who you are, your kindness and your grace and your love. And thank you, God, that even when we are unlovable, when we're prideful, when we're into us and our possessions, God, thank you for loving us. May we experience that, that love today, this very day. And Lord, if there's one here who's never accepted that love in their life, may you bring them into yourself and love them, wrap them up with your love. That's my prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Come as we sing.